Hooray, hurrah! It's Fats Domino uh, celebrating the songwriter, arranger, composer Dave Bartholomew, who he collaborated with for ages and ages, that scion, an influential macha of uh, New Orleans music and the architect of the very sound yes. of New Orleans. Yes. Um, hooray, hurrah! I'm Greg Proops. Uh, welcome to the Proopcast taking. To the ether from the salubrious confines of the Porpoise of Fruititude, Ryan McManaman is here, just like the old days. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. Jennifer's here as well. Um, we're going to celebrate the music of Dave Bartholomew, and we're going to talk about E. Jean Carroll, and we're going to talk about the border crisis, and we're going to talk about the debates and so many other things. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, if you're sitting at home, this is a great time to pour yourself a gigantic drink. If you're driving, this is an awesome time to pour yourself a gigantic drink. And if you're simply <laughs> riding a bicycle, this is a great time to reach down and grab the water bottle and pour yourself a gigantic drink out of it um wherever you are uh and i hope you are wherever you are uh i've been in the east coast uh, with the who's live anyway guys uh, we'll be back out on the road in um canadia uh this month we're going to golly where are we going lloydminster somewhere in um uh, uh michigan as well when you say somewhere greg what do you mean well a place um and then uh that'll be out we'll be out with dave foley in fact in the next coming weeks uh let's see where are we going we're going to saskatchewan uh, that'll be exciting because they, uh, the potash mining in Saskatchewan is of such great interest to people. <laughs> and I'd like to start every show with a little reference to that. Uh, we're going to be in Winnipeg on July 11th. We'll be in Bayfield, Wisconsin on July 12th. We'll be in uh, Lloydminster, Saskatchewan at the Gold Horse Casino uh, on July 19th. And then in Saskatoon at the Dakota Dunes Casino on July 20th. And then I'll be in Edinburgh um, the whole month um, with... Uh, uh, Mike McShane and Stephen Frost and Clive Anderson doing um, Who's Live Anyway? Except we don't call it that. We call it, I don't know what we're calling it this time around. Who's Line Anyway? Richard Vranch. A, a couple of years ago, Vranch will be there. What, what did they call it a couple of years ago? What does the title of the show matter anyway? Which was just beyond. Yiffy. Yeah. Sketchy. <laughs> uh, not good, um, as, as they say. Uh, let's see what they're calling it this year. That's, I'll be there the 13th through the 26th. They're calling it Whose Line Is It Anyway Live at the Fringe. Well, there's some creative writing. That'll be oh. at the other belly. And then I'm going to be doing, um, let's, cutting, cutting back across that. Uh, this Saturday, if you're listening and this goes out before Saturday, I'll be doing the Hall of Game Awards in Kansas City um, at the Negro League uh, Museum. It'll be at the Gem Theater there. Uh, Eric Davis uh, of Cincinnati Red and... Um, Baltimore Oriole fame, Dave Parker of Pittsburgh Pirates, Cincinnati Red, Oakland A's fame, uh, Fred McGriff uh, of Toronto Blue Jays and Atlanta Braves, uh, Ledger Domain, Dave Stewart of the Dodgers, A's and J's, and Sharon Robinson, Jackie Robinson's daughter, will be receiving the Jackie Robinson Award. So we look Fantastic. forward to that thing. Yeah, just a smashing, emotional show. It always is. We met Dave Stewart. It is fantastic. We met Dave Stewart a couple of years ago, and I had to come out and give some opening remarks. And I said, you know, a lot of people thought the 1989 earthquake, the Loma Prieta earthquake in San Francisco was a tragedy. But what was a real tragedy was that Dave Stewart of the A's was allowed to pitch again on 10 days rest against the Giants. <laughs> he shut us out in the first game, and then in the second game beat us 13-7. to And I said, it's what we call in the Bay Area a good old ass whipping. And the Kansas City crowd went a little quiet on that one. Um, so now we're back in Stu's there. So we're looking forward to that more than anything else that I ever do. And um, Bob Kendrick, who's the president of the Negro League Museum, has done a tremendous job promoting them. They were voted best nonprofit museum in America this yeah, year. Yeah. Um, and they also got, I think, a million dollar grant from Major League Baseball, which it takes some doing to get Major League Baseball to acknowledge um, that it was wildly segregated for over 100 years. Yeah. 
So not something they like to talk about, but then, and then of course they like to celebrate the Negro Leagues. And um, these guys are all fantastic ball players who I saw personally play. I'll get off baseball. Um, the 17th, the Greg Proofs Film Club is back. I haven't even told you this yet, Ryan. Uh, we're doing one last one at the Egyptian, and then we're going to move over to the Aero in Santa Monica. Um, the la- we're going to show Willy Wonka on the 17th, uh, not the one with Johnny Depp. We're showing the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka. Um, there's no earthly way of knowing where the Royals keep on. There's no such thing as a snowspray. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. Um, that one. And, of course, my favorite line. What is this, some kind of freak out? Um, <laughs> that'll be on the 17th. Uh, it's still as funny as you remember it. I watched it uh, earlier this year because we try to prep. And then we'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco the 25th or the 27th. The podcast will be on the 25th. Um, this, is, this might be the last go-round, eh, Jennifer, for the Punchline? Possibly. Possibly. Uh, it's going to move locations, I think, but it, it, I think it's going to be closed for the rest of the year unless Google backs off or whatever's going on up there. But we'll see you at New Year's, probably at Cobb's anyway in San Francisco. Uh, then we'll I'll be doing stand-up on the 26th and 27th. Um, then on uh, August 1st, we'll, I'll be in Tacoma at the Tacoma Comedy Club doing a podcast there. The second, stand-up. The third in Spokane. She don't lie, she don't lie, she don't lie. Spokane, uh, doing stand-up. Then the third, a podcast in Spokane. Uh, That looks wrong. No, that's right. The fourth um, will be the podcast. Sorry, I said the third. The third is stand-up. The fourth is podcast. Then we're going to show Babette's Feast, which is a marvelous picture. Late 80s? I should know the year on that. Um, A fantasy-packed affair uh, where an uptight uh, family um, has a a dinner party, and Babette, their chef... Uh, de cuisine um, creates a meal that breaks open their emotions and lets them communicate with one another. It's a really beautiful picture. Jennifer chose um, both of these pictures, and uh, that'll be on the seventh at the Arrow in Santa Monica. We're very excited to be moving out to Santa Monica uh, for this one. Then, as I said, I gave you all those. We're going to the Utter Valley, the thirteenth through the twenty-sixth, the fourteenth and the sixteenth, fourteenth uh, and the nineteenth. My eyesight is just bloody awful the 14th and the 19th we'll be doing the proof cast at the gilded balloon in edinburgh you'll find me i'll be amongst the drunks there in the afternoon uh and then we'll be doing the soho theater in london for our, our english friends that'll be the 28th of august and i think that's at 9 30 so be prepared to catch the late bus i will end in time for you to catch the late bus really yes the show will start at 9.30. I will be done at 11. You can catch the late bus, which stops at midnight, I think. And the tube stops at midnight. So it's not Christmas time. It's the summer. It would behoove them to extend it for summer hours. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a groovy time of year to be in Edinburgh and London because uh, everybody's in Edinburgh and everybody's out of London. And uh, the weather's nice for once. Uh, it's not probably won't be rainy. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, and then we'll be moving on after that. Uh, Ryan joins us back on the road in uh, September um, for more Who's Live adventures. Enough uh, of that fall roll. Babette's Feast is 1987, and it's an Isaac Dennison story. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is it a Spanish picture? No, it's it's Danish. Danish. I, I Ergo Isaac Dennison. You know, it's that keen perception that makes me one of film's most acute uh, chroniclers. Knowing that Babette's Feast, um, written by a Danish woman, and uh, jumping right in and saying, is this a Spanish movie? <laughs> I think puts me at the head of the class on this one. A lot of our people out there are going, really? see how I sought refuge in drink uh, to kind of cover my own inadequacies and jazz like that. Anyway, we were on the road last week and um, we did Worcester, uh, Baston, um, 
where else we could piss the um, New Brunswick and uh, Lebanon, New Hampshire. And we had a grand old time uh, with our Dave Foley. Anyway, uh, New, as you know, I have a contentious relationship with Boston in so much as uh, I think that their sports teams and their fans are some of the most awful things that ever happened to America. I'm talking, of course, about Robert Kraft, who famously went to a massage parlor in Florida the day of the Super Bowl, um, talking about their coach, Belichick, who's an avowed white supremacist, and their famous quarterback, Tom Brady, who not only were his balls deflated, um, he wore a Make America Great cap through the whole season and then wouldn't talk about it when reporters asked him what it was about. So uh, the white supremacy involved in the Boston Patriots is uh, one of the, my least favorite things in sport. However, having said that, the people of Worcester and Boston were awesome. And the people all around Red Sox Nation in Burlington and Lebanon couldn't have been nicer to us. They were wonderful crowds. Um, they uh, have hilarious accents that I can't begin to understand. Um, I, I know I have a California accent, but you can understand me. You can make me out through the fog. But sometimes when someone yells, Pitha, you're like, I don't even know what that means. I really don't know what it means. And if you like white people, wow, New England is really exciting. I mean, Vermont really is just shocking. Uh, in the, I mean, let me put it this way. You're not going to get a horchata. Uh, so... <laughs> uh, having said that, they were really nice, and we played at the Opera House in Lebanon, New Hampshire, and um, it was a really cute little room adjacent to the city hall there, and the town looked just like Salem's Lot from Stephen King. You remember that one where <laughs> the vampires live underneath the buildings, and all the houses have those little gables, and everything's painted blue, and everyone's wearing like a Dartmouth shirt and whatnot. And um, you, at the moment when you people are sneaky, right? At the moment you're gonna, you think you're gonna die of Ryan O'Neill and love story. Uh, a vampire comes out and clomps, chomps you in the butt. Um, marijuana is legal <laughs> in um, Vermont. Marijuana is legal in Massachusetts. By legal, I mean recreational. You can go in and buy it. So I go to the dope store in Baston, and uh, with uh, our tour manager Morgan, on a field trip. We just want to see what it's like. So we pitch up at this place in Brookline called Nieder or Meter or some bloody thing. And there's a queue around the block, right? Like it's like they're showing a first run, like it's Avengers Assemble or whatever. And so there's this d double back Disneyland queue, the kind that are horrible because you never get there. And it goes through the car park and around. There's three off-duty mass cops there, right? Boston cops wearing orange vests and shit like that. And the hippie dude who's run in charge of the car park, and it's kind of half-ass rainy. It's, it's New England in the summer. Um, Goes, I go, well, how does this work? And he's like, well, you got to get in the queue over there and uh, the line. And then, you know, you, you, here's a menu so you can look at it before you get there. It's like, this is a pot store, right? So I'm pretty sure what's on the menu. There's pot. There's pre-rolls. And because Massachusetts has all these laws and they didn't do the rollout very well, um, you can't buy pre-rolls in a box unless you have a medicinal card, but you can buy single pre-rolls. No one's following this, and I don't expect you to in any way. I'm not following this. Why you need a medical card to buy a box of pre-rolls, but I can buy four individual pre-rolls, which is the same amount as in the box without my medical card. No uh, uh, a tip jar, right? In California and Oregon, Washington, you all, and Denver, there's a tip jar. You tip the bed tender. Maybe you don't remember the Puritans. 
I mean, it was like Cotton Mather designed this place. Plus, it was in a bank. So it was August inside and it had deep dark wood paneling. And then they had ripped out all the counters and put in dope counters so that you could see all the weed. And then all the people working in there were kind of hippie-ish. And in order to alleviate the dank atmosphere of a Puritan bank from the turn of the century, they'd hung a pride flag in one corner. Wow. So that would indicate that, hey, everybody's welcome. That was to cleanse the yes, area. Yeah, especially if you have money to buy pot. So there was, a, you could book ahead online and your order was ready. That was one queue. There was a medical queue, which I don't know why they still have medical if it's already recreational. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. They want to take the fun out of it. And make more regulations and rules. Because as you said, the Puritan misery that imbues uh, the, the discovery of uh, that area is superseded by the, the pigrams and all, all the other uh, Puritans what came in there. And speak for yourself, John Alden is the slogan. So we're standing there in the queue. And I said to Morgan, we call it in uh, our little group, uh, Who's Live, Chip Eston coined this years ago. Um, the sweet perfume because people will say to me on the road they'll go what's it like people must get in your face all the time and want your autograph and you're famous and shit like that it's like I have the most awesome low level celebrity that you could possibly imagine sometimes people recognize me and when they do they're nice to me why because I'm a comedian I'm not a tax collector I'm not a famous <laughs> psycho killer I'm not a famous murderer I'm not on the run from the law so people are generally like oh you're the guy on the thing that's really cute do you want an ice cream or something nice so I'll, I'll often get a, a table or something. And this totally works to my advantage. I'm, I'm blessed, okay? Let me just, I'm, I'm bragging now. This is a humble brag. But part of being on Who's Line for 50 years and having it shown all over the world is that I can go places and have them go, oh my God, you're alive. Don't you wish that show was still on? And I'm like, it is still on. And they're like, I wish it was on still. And you're like, but it is still on. We're on our seventh season on the CW. And they're like, man, I remember when that show was on. Boy, you and the other guy, the other guy, he was so funny, the ball guy. And I'm like, Colin, no, not him. Uh, anyway, so we get in line and the guy goes, I'm a big fan of yours. And I turned to Morgan and I said, the perfume's not you know, working enough. And then two seconds later, another guy comes over and goes, come with me and takes me right to the front of the line. So we went inside. So yes, I cut in front of everyone in line at the Nita and Brookline last week. I apologize wow. to the people that are there. Mind you, I was, there was, I was kissing babies and running for office while I was in line. So it wasn't like I wasn't working. Um, but thank you for showing us a good time. I think I've got one of the joints around here somewhere. Uh, oh, look, here's Still? one. Yeah, no, here's the tube from the place. And, oh no, this is a California one. Theirs weren't as strong though, I'll be honest. The hybrid wasn't as strong. Really? Can you read what the label as says? California, that's a surprise. No, of course, right? It's, I don't know if the weed comes from Massachusetts, it's I doubt it. premium marijuana. Premium flower. marijuana. Yeah, flower. flower. That's what we call, um, what we would call buds in the old days. They call flower. Look, um, like what's his name in um, Bambi? What is it? Flower? <laughs> what is it? Scoondog? Scoondog filled with hash? Do you have a medical card? No, I'm, I'm a squirrel. <laughs> what was he, a rabbit? He wasn't a squirrel. Sometimes they acted like squirrels. So that's where the confusion lies. So anyway, uh, then we went and got Italian sandwiches and it was um, a pretty good day in Boston. What can I tell you? It only rained partially. There's no cannoli? You know, I laid off the cannoli on this trip. I did have a lobster roll for breakfast one day though, I admit. I woke up late and I was like, fuck it, I'm having a lobster roll. And it came with french fries. And uh, the waiter Not came chefs. over and he was glutinous with self-approbation as your mm -hmm, favorite expression mm -hmm. from Hitchcock. He came over and he was like, 
enjoy. <laughs> and I was like, it looks pretty goddamn good. If you've never had a lobster roll, um, uh, and let me see that lobster roll! To the left, to the left, to the left, to the left. Now slide, slide, slide. Um, it's uh, ma- uh, chunks of lobster. The East is the East Coast. So lobster's like peanut butter there. Like it's not hard to come by and it's everywhere. Like on the West Coast, you buy a lobster, it's a special occasion, and it'll say market price on the menu, which means it's going to be. You're scared. Well, it's going to be $300 or whatever for nothing, you know, and you're like. And then the, the, uh, 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 the Atlantic lobsters are the gigantic ones, right? Uh, it's the ones up in. Um, Canada, the little ones, the, Ooh, the Newfoundland ones, they're good. small and very tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're big, that means they've lived like 20 years and stuff, which is really weird to eat an animal that's that mature. God, I, I'm going to really? break into Wild Kingdom at this point. <laughs> well, lobster of Newfoundland is found underneath the sea. Deceptively blue in color, it attains a rich red hue once boiled to death in its own juices. Served on a soft roll with French fries, racists all over New England enjoy the lobster roll before they watch the Red Sox. Hi, I'm the Wandering Squash. So, how does it compare to a shrimp po' boy? Well, that I mean, two different animals, right? A shrimp po' boy um, isn't barbecued. How do you how do you make a shrimp po' boy? Well, you can do it barbecue style, New Orleans style. But barbecue doesn't mean barbecue. Which means that it's cooked in butter with Worcestershire sauce. So it's not salty or buttery enough? No. Well, Jennifer makes them here every once in a while, and it has surprised me with them a couple times. You have to, the key ingredients, I believe, in a po' boy are, you have to have a soft roll, you have to have Creole mustard, Mm -hmm. and then you buy those pickles that have already been sliced, that are already in the jar sliced. Well, you don't want to waste that precious time slicing the pickle. No, and you're never going to get it as thin as they no. can at the factory because they've got the pickle slicer there. I think they're called stackers. Yes. And then, so that gives it a bed of saltiness and brine at the bottom. And then do you put mayonnaise on it as well? Is there shredded lettuce? Mm, there's shredded lettuce. Tomato, mm-hmm. Creole mustard, mm-hmm. and then a buttery Worcestershire sauce on the shrimps. Right, you, you toast the buns with butter, now, extra butter, in the butter. You're urged to eat them with your hands, but I think it's a complete mess. I, I think eating it with your hands, you get it all over your face. The, all of a sudden, shrimps start shooting out the back of the sandwich <laughs> like they're extricating themselves from the bread. So I think it's better at with a knife and fork. But I mean, the first few bites are certainly worth it. And then I would have a cold beer. Um, uh, I would go lager. Um, if you were in New Orleans, you might have a, a Dixie. Do you remember or the, a voodoo, the guy? But you might go IPA because I know the kids like the IPA. I'm an old man. <laughs> the guy that came up to our table at Mother's and poured hot sauce into his beer. Yeah. And said it, it was like noon and he was like, this is my hangover. Cure. Yeah. He goes, oh my and God. He, yeah. He looked like he couldn't talk. I think he was the manager. Yeah. His eyes were half closed. He was wearing a seersucker suit and he had a pencil thin mustache and he went, it was a uh, thousand degrees. He had that Brooklyn accent that people in New Orleans have. Oh, oh I'm so, I'm so hungover. And uh, he goes, you mind if I sit with y'all? And we're like, sit. And he took his beer and he took this, the hot sauce on the table that had the pepperoncinis in it and went like this. Choo, 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 and poured a boatload, a oh. fuck ton, if you're a kid, of a hot sauce into the beer. And then did it like this. Gug, 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 and then ate a po' boy. And I thought, well, that'll cure your hangover. Or something. It'll cure cholera. <laughs> um, so I think it's, I just, I, a lobster roll is a whole nother situation. The potato chips, uh, the, the small amount of celery, I, I'm adamant about don't put too much mayonnaise in it. I think it needs enough to stick together, but I think there needs to be a little bit of, uh, 
when there's too much mayonnaise and too much celery and too much lettuce and shit, you're obfuscating the lobster. The lobster has to come powering through so that you taste the crunchy punchiness of it and the delicious lobster-like flavors. I don't want uh, too much paprika on it or any of that jazz. Now, I made shrimp, jumbo shrimp uh, uh, rolls about a week ago here in one of my greatest domestic triumphs. Uh, I called uh, the James Beard people, but they <laughs> refused to take my calls. Um, I also called... Um, uh, who's it on uh, Queer Eye? Anthony? I called Anthony uh, because I wanted to say, this is how you cook something. <laughs> as much as I love he, Anthony. You can slice an avocado. Anthony is so easy on these dudes. They live alone. They're often overweight. Sometimes you question their hygiene. And you're like, often. you need to step up your game, right? So on the old Queer Eye, Ted would go like, you're going to make rigatoni. And he'd like show them how. And he'd show them how there to boil. There would be an appetizer. Right. A main. Prosciutto. A salad. And then dessert, even if you put it in yeah, a box. Yeah. Like Ted made them make a meal. Anthony's like, just slice some avocado and put it on a tray and put some tangerine with it. Like, no, no, that's not cooking. That's, not, that's arranging a bunch of food on a thing. And I don't claim to cook. Jennifer's the cook here. But I... I barbecued some jumbo shrimp and I made them with little fillet mignons. And then there was a bunch of jumbo shrimp left over the next day. So while Jennifer, unbeknownst to her, was on the phone with our friend Lipsinka from New York and they were dishing, I chopped up the cold shrimp. You de-peel them. I had the, the, the uh, uh, shell still on them. I peeled them. I chopped them fine. Not too fine. Do you want them chunky? And then a little bit of mayonnaise and I didn't have any celery. Um, did, so, you, did you consult the Dean and DeLuca? I didn't. I went online and I looked up uh, a, a jumbo shrimp uh, roll recipe, but it was from some company. Uh, some chef had was clearly in league with like, you know, Delorio's frozen shrimp. So every two seconds it suggested you use Delorio's frozen shrimp or the finest. The, the actual recipe kept saying the brand of shrimp that you were supposed to use. So I, I went with her guidance on this. The key is the roll. I had cleverly bought two soft rolls the day before against the advent of this happening. But I, did, I, I cleverly didn't um, presciently buy a bag of potato chips. These are recent potato chips. They weren't there when the shrimp rolls went down. I'm pointing at some strips on the chips on the table. And it's really chips on the table time. Uh, it's important to have a bag of potato chips, I think, with your... Lobster or shrimp roll. Yeah. I mean, you, you're not going to make French fries at home. That's like making donuts at home. You're going to set the house on fire. You're going to burn your face, and you're going to burn your fingers. Um, I believe Kamala Harris has a pretty screaming French fry recipe. She really cooks them in duck fat. She uh, double in a pan. Fr- in she a pan. double fries. Oh them. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can you can see her recipe online. Um, double frying is supposed to be the key because double frying is supposed to make them crunchy on the outside and fluffy on the inside. And all good French restaurants will do that. They'll double cook the... But the fries have to be pretty thick, in my opinion, Jennifer. Well, she's gone now. But the point is, I made these shrimps rolls and uh, you've got to butter the, the soft roll extensively and then put it in a frying pan and put the lid on top of the roll. And that way the roll browns so that you've got that golden brown crust and a lot of butter and then you dump the uh, you mix the uh, uh, chopped shrimp up with mayonnaise if you've got a little lettuce I'd put some chunks of lettuce I mean celery a a little bit of celery just to give it some texture and then you pour that on top of the roll and then either eat it open faced or you know do what you like but I think it requires some potato chips possibly white wine or rosé because it's the summer I don't want to spoil this story, but I think that this is your one recipe. Oh, no, I have another one. Um, It's called cheese omelet. What I do is I take two eggs and I put them in a bowl. 
no, my my cooking skills are limited. However, were they good shrimp rolls or what? You they didn't were delicious. They, thank you very much. They were. Uh, let's jump right in. Dave Bartholomew. Um, I'm going to let you take the lead on this because uh, you've studied Dave Bartholomew a lot more. Fats passed away last year, and of course we had a giant eulogy for him. And I'm so proud that before he passed, I played a bunch of his songs at San Jose at the Improv there uh, because I believe that Fats Domino's the nicest rock star America's ever produced. Mm-hmm. Um, there's and no scandal about him. Undersung. Wonderful songwriter, wonderful singer, superb piano player, a, a little not, underrated. Right, not celebrated enough. Um, Dave Bartholomew passed away at 100 the week after Dr. John and the same month as Leah Chase, so that was horrible for New Orleans. But he was 100 years old, and he was one of the architects of rock and roll. He studied trumpet with Peter Davis, who also taught Louis Armstrong. Yeah. His mentors well. were amazing. He sought, he sought Peter Davis out because he was such a fan of Armstrong. Um, one thing that I thought was really uh, odd, um, a missing part of the story, is that he wrote a lot of the songs with his first wife, Pearl King, and uh, there's so little about her that uh, some sites credit Earl King, right? the R&B star. Um, but it was Pearl King that, that wrote... Uh, with Dave Bartholomew, One Night and I Hear You Knocking, and many other songs that Let's we spin all One know. Night here for a second. One Night was a giant hit with Elvis Presley. Um, you may remember it. One Night with You. But because Jennifer's here, we're going to play Willie DeVille's version of it because uh, Jennifer <laughs> loves Willie DeVille. Whoa. Something's going on that I wasn't aware of. Oh, that was another Fast Domino song. Here, so, okay, here's a, here's a little bit of One Night. You'll recognize it. This part. Dave Bartholomew was a great businessman. Mm-hmm. He wrote these songs with his wife, the, this series of songs, right. then all the songs with Fats. He wrote uh, songs for Smiley Lewis. Uh, Irma Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mentored Fats Domino, and uh, I guess it really uh, he picked all the musicians for the studio band, so he, was, he uh, apparently had... Uh, an eye for the greatest talent in New Orleans, and so it was. Uh, it was profound. His mark on the city's music. And did he, he not mentor Al Antisson as well? Yes, he did. Who wrote a million songs? Yes, and produced. He was something of a, a, a taskmaster, and, and he whipped guys into shape. And you, there was no playing clams or showing up later drinking or being high in his studio. Well, since I'm reading uh, Dr. John's autobiography, I I can't imagine. Surely not. <laughs> I, how harrowing is that? I'm I'm just in the teen years, and he's lost several drummers, and the guy went to prison, and has anyone lost an eye yet? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for asking, but um, 
no one show you know people are up all all night and they're uh fighting every weekend and uh guys are, are this lo- is the 50s losing their lives yeah. and so the idea that dave bartholomew was the taskmaster some someone had to get someone to the studio on time right so they could make a record and he was apparently uh one of his strong suits was getting everybody paid and getting the rights to music. And after Katrina, when he came back to New Orleans, one of the first things he did was try to get money for the older musicians. Isn't that and smashing? Organize a benefit, and he was, and that was when he was elderly, and he was working in his nineties. He was on Treme. His son was a regular on Treme. Uh, Tell me what the sons do. Uh, well. His son Don has a recording studio, and he he said that the family's job is the legacy. That yeah. they've always felt that 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 they really loved their their dad. And he said that if he was a great musician, great producer, arranger, he was a hundred times that as a father. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Well, he's a rare person that way because I don't think he was ever drinky or druggy. He was the he and Fats were Fats both wasn't drinky or family druggy. men. Yeah. There was an amazing 1962 French concert with both of them and their band in France that's on YouTube, and it's wonderful. It's an hour and a half long. The French crowd's wearing sunglasses and smoking. And at the end, because it's a, a, a New Orleans rock and roll act, they break it down from doing all the hits. They do Ain't That a Shame, and Walking to New Orleans, all that. Then at the end, when the Saints come marching in and the whole band goes into the audience and the French people have never seen anything like it, this group of... They're losing their mind. Yeah, it's New but Orleans. But also the band seems free from the fetters of being in the South and everything yeah. that goes on with racist America. They're in France and they're being celebrated and they're being treated with respect and, and fat seems to be lighter in his tone and just having... Not that he was ever... It's so worth watching. It's, it's so lovely. And at the end, they're having such a great time. Dave Bartholomew sits on the stage. Yeah. Yeah, and, you and can, he's playing sitting on the stage, and it's just great. When you watch it, you'll recognize him as he never looks young, even <laughs> when he's young. And two, he plays the trumpet. Uh, here's one that he wrote with thoughts that made a zillion billion dollars. Um, how about the interesting structure of that song? Mm-hmm. It starts in the middle and goes to the chorus. Well, that was uh, Dave Bartholomew's uh, complaint about Fast Domino was he felt like he had to come in and put uh, uh, a beginning and end to it because he said that Fats always wanted to start in the middle of a song and that he would just <laughs> never end and, and never, you know, he was playing for the love of it and he wasn't thinking about money or business or anything and, and they needed the two of them to make this happen. It's been said uh, in more than one obituary um, that in order to have Fats Domino, um, you had to have Dave Bartholomew. Yes, yes. Not so much that Fats Domino wasn't able to be Fats Domino on his own, but the guidance and the 
he literally Fats was wearing coveralls and would come from work because he was a mechanic and show up to do gigs. And Dave Bartholomew was a strict suit and tie dude. Like you dressed up for the stage. Like when you see them in the 60s shoe show, mm -hmm. everybody's kidded, right? You know, like Fats usually wears that check jacket and pinky ring, you know, and the cufflinks and no, everything. No, no one showed up late. Or, 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 or with bad hair. No. And um, he, he, he thought Fats was like, Really, you're going to come in your coveralls and fast? Well, he like, hey, to, I'm after work, man. He like, wanted to put it on record and make it a you know a venture that was successful that would sustain all of them, and and it did. I think it's more accurate to say that in order that Fats Domino be what he was, which is the enduring musical legend and I think second biggest selling star of the '50s. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. think anyone sold more records than maybe Elvis. Um, it required both of them to be yeah. him. Yes. Dave to Dave to with the hand and Fats with the well, talent. Well, I think Dave Bartholomew always felt that, and he was never shy about saying it that he was that instrumental, and that he, without him, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Here's another version of it, just in case you're a groove kitten. Whoa! Sorry, I have to start at the beginning. <laughs> it's good rock out too. Um, more bass, please. <laughs> so every time this was a hit, Fats and Dave, this album from 1978 must have sold a billion copies. Every You couldn't get away from this song that summer. And um, it was a giant hit. And the first five minutes of it are just intro. Mm -hmm. It's a really long version of Ain't That a Shame. And I, all I can think of is Dave Bartholomew going, I like this version. <laughs> <laughs> the radio plays this one quite a lot. Um, perversely, Smiley, who passed away in the 60s. And, yeah, in 1966 at 53. So tell me a little bit about why he liked this song so much, Someday You'll Want Me. Well, it's, a, it's an early Dave Bartholomew uh, track. And uh, Smiley had, he was from rural Louisiana. He took the train to New Orleans. He had nothing, he was a kid, and he was boarded with an Irish family and he took their last name, Lewis. Oh, really? He was really, you know, he didn't have anything. And this is him singing. I love the um, proto rhythm and blues jazz. Fats Domino said, you can call it rock and roll, but I've been playing it for 10 years. And I think this gives you an idea of what pre-rock and roll rock and roll is. Well, everyone wants to say this person or that person invented it. It's a, it's a process and, and we're better than New Orleans where there's all these different influences of Cuban music and Sicilians and uh, indigenous peoples and black people. Who was it who said that in, uh, uh, New Orleans music might even be underrated in its influence? I think it is. Well, Dave well, Bartholomew said it. Little was. Richard went there to record as well. Um, Cosimo Matassa uh, mm -hmm. was the one. We talked about him and his fabulous studio there where they recorded, oh my God, a thousand tracks, more than a thousand. Um, and Dr. John recorded there as well. Mm -hmm. So here's one by... Um, uh, uh, Dr. John was selling songs to uh, Little Richard when he was in high school. This is a dreamy tune, yeah. Uh, here's a here's a um, a version of um, Smiley. Of course, had a giant hit with "I Hear You Knocking," as did a '50s um, white lady who was a very nice singer named Gail Storm. And um, this is a version from the '60s, and it's kind of a hyped up. Uh, 
I don't know if you call it psychedelic, but there's phase shifting on it and stuff like that. Let me just spin it. Dave Edmonds is a Welsh guitar player who you'll know from working with Nick Lowe in the 80s and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But when I was a kid, he had this hit on the AM radio. And it's a Dave Bartholomew Pearl King composition that Smiley originally did. songs that everybody could have a go on them. There's a heavy metal version. Here's a, well, I don't know what you'd call this version. <laughs> I don't think it's psychedelic, but it's super 60s. Um, with the, um, his songs are just tremendous. And Fats, there's no, he, by the way, he names everybody here. Smiley Lewis. Nice. Yeah. Good for Dave Edmonds. He checks everybody who did the song. Um, there's really no getting over uh, Dave Bartholomew's um, awesomeness and uh, influence in the New Orleans scene. Well, and the contribution of all the African-American artists he worked with. Oh, my God, which it's, is zillions. It's just And he amazing. organized the show. Yeah, he did. Dave Bartholomew is not swirling in the heavens. He'd already made a contract with the Afterworld several years ago <laughs> that was ironclad. So what he did was he ascended in an elevator to the constellation that he'd already pre-booked. <laughs> um, Fats is waiting there with uh -huh. Alain Toussaint and Dr. John, and they're going to have a beer and lie to each other for the rest of eternity. <laughs> and that's the beauty of Dave Bartholomew. Um, I wanted to talk about someone else who... Uh, Achieve something super awesome this week if I can find it on oh my goddamn there it is. Oh, yeah, Joy Harjo um, is an Oklahoma born writer and a member of the Muskegee Creek Nation, and she was named the U.S. Poet Laureate this week. And I couldn't be more excited. Mm -hmm. um, there's a very awesome picture of her here in the Washington Post. Um, with them like gigantic long turquoise earrings, and she says, My poem is about confronting the kind of society that would diminish Native people disappear from us from the story of this country. Um, yes, the United States still has a poet laureate, and I couldn't be more happy about that. Um, poetry is not dead. It is in the air everywhere. And we couldn't be more excited to have um, Joy Harjo uh, as our new poet laureate. By the way, in case you were asking, yes, it's the first Native American poet laureate in the million years that we've had a poet laureate. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash smart. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates 
so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, smartest man in the world listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash smart. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash smart s-m-a-r-t ziprecruiter.com slash smart ziprecruiter the smartest way to hire i thank you and the smartest man in the world podcast thanks you no um if you want to check out some uh new orleans grooves uh there's a great radio station uh wwoz guardians of the groove um and they're online and uh you can stream their shows and they play a, a really uh, nice eclectic mix uh, some mystifying moments like this sure. one for instance <laughs> it, we're recording this at 4 o'clock on Thursday the night after the first debate and um, I've got the um, uh, portal open here there's a listening player so you can go right on your phone or right on your computer and um, dial it up it's www.oz.org and uh, there's a button you press and they're called the Guardians of the Groove and I'm the Minister of Groove according to Ryan Stiles so I'm endorsing this radio station <laughs> A lot of times, though, like after Dave Bartholomew passed, you said they had like a two-day Dave Bartholomew Dr. John Fest, Well, you, of you could hear the memorial live on the station, yeah, which is of... pretty special. And also, what, what's really exciting is that occasionally they will break in and, and tell you the live lineups for each day in New Orleans, and it goes on. At a certain point, you're like, wait a minute, we've heard a lot of uh, different acts are playing tonight, and we're just to the 8 p.m. slot. Right, we're not to the late night slot. And that makes, you know, it's fantastic. It's New Orleans is so awesome because uh, we were there and um, we're looking in the paper and there's a, um, or like the alternative paper, and there's a list of 24-hour restaurants and grocery stores because grocery stores often have food or liquor stores. And uh, (laughs) the list was like five pages long. And you're like, there's only 400,000 people here. (laughs) Um, I'm from San Francisco. We're from San Francisco. There's a few late-night places and there's a few 24-hour I, we're in the pulsing, throbbing uh, epicenter of uh, Lower California here, mm-hmm. and there's only two or three 24-hour places, and we're the, the middle of the scene here. There's bars that let out at night, and people need 24-hour places to go. New Orleans has a zillion of them. Yeah. Right now, You Only Live Twice by Brian Charette is grooving on WW. Yeah, I told you. And, and look at that photo. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Of uh, One of the tribes. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. New Orleans does it right. Where, as Jennifer once said to me when we were there, it's where a man in pink drag can ride a motorcycle down the street playing a, a, a guitar, and he's not gay. He may not be gay. Well, he just happens to have a, a pink feathered cape in his you know, wardrobe. We did actually fantastic. see someone in a pink feathered cape walk we by did. the restaurant while we were mm-hmm. eating, and mm-hmm. it was just He was smashing. sort of marching, too. Yeah. Oh, in, no. Indignantly. Like, I got to get, I have to run some errands, and I'm wearing a gigantic... Pink cape. The kind yeah, that... Plumage. Right. That Dr. John would have worn during the swamp voodoo period, or any, uh, the meters would have worn at any family gathering. You, you know, you're hard-pressed to see something like that this weekend in San Francisco Pride. You're not seeing it in Burlington, Vermont, I'll assure you that. You're going to see more ucky, work-a-day, sensible summer sandals on people than you've ever... The sports kind that have the strap that goes over the toes like that for men and women. And like after a while, you're like, I'm never having sex again. What did you do to me? What did you do to me? God invented deck shoes. And I'm not certain why people won't wear them. 
If you're at the beach, by all means, flip-flops are the easiest mode. Actually, they're not. You're better off wearing no, no shoes at all on the beach. But then when you get back in your car, I get it. Or if you're three. Or if you live in Thailand and it rains all the time and you have mm -hmm. to ride a bicycle for a living, then I can see wearing flip-flops every moment. Other than that, I would really advise against it if you wish me to have sex with you. Probably not going to happen. Do we do the boring preachy part or what have we got here? Let's talk about a couple good things first. Yes, uh, the United States women's national team will play uh, tomorrow. Uh, it'll already be over by the time we get to this. But um, they've uh, been kicking their way through this tournament. Um, there was the 13-0 game against um, Thailand. Uh, and then um, a, what we like to uh, characterize as a squeaker against Spain the other day, but it really wasn't that much of a squeaker, a little bit of controversy. Now, uh, the focus has been on a bunch of different players as the tournament's gone on. Obviously, Alex Morgan's five goals in the first game was pretty gaudy. And then Carly Lloyd's two goals in the second match was gaudy, considering she almost made a third goal. And then in the last match, it was the controversy about Spain getting crazy in the second half and then the weird penalty kick uh, mm -hmm. and the call on that. But the, where the real story has been is Megan Rapinoe. Now, Reagan Ma hey. Megan Rapinoe, who's the co-captain of the U.S. women's national team, um, obviously has been around a long time, is a fabulous player. And and um, I, I think a giant, uh, the heart and soul of the team, right? Um, her and Carly Lloyd, I think everybody looks to for fucking, you know, they're like the spiritual gurus. And well, not to put too, too fine a point on it, she was the first player in soccer to not um, stand for the anthem when Colin Kaepernick started doing it. And so she hasn't been doing it through the tournament. It was mildly noted, and I meant to bring it up on the last three podcasts, but I didn't because I thought, well, she's been doing it. And, uh, but now it all came to a head because there was an awesome interview in the locker room after the last game. And a guy comes up to her, and, and I think he was taking the mick, as they say in England. He goes, you excited about going to the White House? Now, Megan Rapinoe is, um, uh, is gay and uh, a member of our team. And she went, fantastically, the delivery. I'm not going to the fucking White House. <laughs> <laughs> she threw it away, and it was great. And so, of course, someone played it for 45. And if there's one thing that he can't understand more than a black woman or a black person or a Latin person, is it's a queer superstar of sport. To get his mind around it. By the way, this week he said the Ayatollah Khomeini was going to suffer from the Iran sanctions. The how, does, how does Franco feel? Franco, uh, honestly, Franco, like Marcos, is quaking in his boots <laughs> with Idi Amin uh, and Mao and, uh, 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 and Somoza and Manuel Noriega. There's a lot of dictators who are dead who are really worried about what the 45 administration is doing. First of all, we're sticking it to the Ayatollah because um, it's 19... In his mind, it's always when he was coked up and having uh, non-consensual um, relations with women at Studio 54. I think his everything has stopped for him, and it's on that period. That's why he says things like um, when E. Jean Carroll uh, and her credible accusations of assault came out this week. She he, was so brave. He said, she's not my type, which is the most horrible, casual, uh, indescribably awful thing you could possibly say in that situation. Well, and indicting himself in the process because well, he's... Uh, so he said the Ayatollah Khomeini this week. And so he's not ready. For, the last lesbian um, superstar that he heard of was Billie Jean King. That was, or Martina was the last time he checked in on this. So he, gave, of course, gave one of his fabulous speeches about how you're not American unless you stand for the anthem, which is the most specious, fatuous, 
awful racist white supremacist thing you could possibly say and looks directly in the face of two things. One, um, the national anthem is a slave song that includes verses about beating back the free blacks who were fighting along with the British. And two, um, uh, um, Francis Scott Key was not known for his liberality and uh, no. racial relations. But and when I went out uh, to get people out to vote, we on our our list we we had a checklist uh that we could t uh warn other people to avoid certain houses if there were issues yeah and one of the signs of a troublesome house was do they have an american flag in the window right our flag is taken uh, which just says you might have trouble with some racism right i used to say it about um always the swastika but the confederate flag of what it symbolizes and what it embolizes and what it uh metastasizes for all of us. Uh, it's this just terrible, wicked reminder of the enemy within and the, the, the purge that is uh, white supremacy. But the American flag has got up there with the Union Jack. The Union Jack British people used to be proud of because it meant, oh, oi, England. But it in the 80s, the Union Jack just so became the white nationalist front emblem so that's why on their uniforms they do the st george's cross and whatnot they do mm -hmm. they do a subtle pullback from mm -hmm. doing the uh union jack and of course i think northern ireland ireland wales and scotland might have something to say about the union jack being yeah. a flag they didn't want to see come rolling yeah. into town because it meant um we're gonna have to pay tribute and there's going to be some casual sexual assault and perhaps a few people hung i'm always <laughs> hazy on the need to fly a flag in a country that you're in. You're right? reminding everyone of what? It's so weird. And it's Pride Month. So to take Yay. Megan Rapinoe out on Pride Month is to misunderstand everything utterly. By the way, she stood by her remarks and she went back and gave another interview and it was um, in that, um, in the failing New York Times uh, just today <laughs> uh, about how she's not sorry. She said it, sorry, not fucking sorry. And I doubt they will go. The Warriors have set a precedent by not going uh, to the White House after they won a championship. And then, of course, the Toronto uh, Raptors, and congratulations, even though you built, you beat my beloved Warriors. Um, do, are, you know, there was, he met with Trudeau last week, 45, and he was like, do they were like, do you think they're going to come to the White House? And it was like, they're not coming to the White House. One, they're a Canadian team. Yes. They don't have to go. Even though the National Basketball Association is all American except for one team. Uh, what about... Uh Trudeau's gift basket from Pelosi. That was that really was so cute, cute this week. So she met with uh, Trudeau while he was in Washington. And um, there's a video of it. You can see it on her Twitter feed. Nancy Pelosi uh, uh, gave him a basket and she went, congratulations, they made a bet. San Francisco <laughs> versus Toronto. And I guess if you won, uh, Toronto was going to give you um, uh, maple sugar. Imagine how grateful he was to meet with her. After having to meet with 45 yes. and sit with him, yes. to meet with someone who could go, hi, how are you? Come on, ça va? <laughs> Why don't you sit down for a minute and we'll have a chat about world affairs. <laughs> I've been reading. <laughs> At no point did he say, did she say, many people say, or you're Canadian. Or, the, you know, heaven knows what he calls him. He might think he's Pierre Trudeau. Right. I mean, that's what right. I'm, or Gary Trudeau. I'm worried that he thinks he's one of the famous Trudeaus because those are the ones he knows. He's really that limited. And um, by limited, I mean wickedly evil uh, in a uh, 
uh, un- unbelievable uh, 12th century Italian poet kind of way, 11th, 13th century. Uh, and Trudeau gave her uh, a chocolate bar from this company, uh, Peace by Chocolate, that's in uh, Ontario. And they're Syrian refugees whose chocolate factory was bombed. Yeah. They moved to Canada. Were they from Rome? I can't remember. Damascus, maybe. I don't. I think Damascus, yeah. and they moved to Canada, and uh, they had a GoFundMe for their uh, new chocolate factory, and they're up and running. And Trudeau's uh, been uh, awesome about supporting them. I brought some home of uh, last year. I went to uh, the uh, the fantastic JFL Forty Two in um, Toronto, and we got to play Second City, and we did the podcast and stand up there, and it was really an extraordinary experience for me. The, the Canadian crowd was awesome, and Jennifer sent me down to um, the Key. Uh, there's a grocery store down around that way. and um, Yeah, uh, I sent you on a mission to find that chocolate. Right, right where the Jack Layton statue is, who's a famous uh, liberal Canadian white nice guy um, politician who passed of cancer a few years ago. And um, uh, on that key, there's a, a supermarket. And the supermarket Jennifer sent me to, because I had to look up where the piece by chocolate was. And there was two, I had to ask well, you for can, it. you can get it uh, mailed to you. Oh, you can get it online. Yeah, yeah. And they do they do special pride packages. Yeah. They do, for all uh, it's celebrations. Really, They're an, a lovely family. It's adorable. And the, and the chocolate's quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Willy Wonka-sized bars. They're the yeah. big, you know, the big. Yeah, they don't mess around. No, it's not. And, oh, I'm, I wish I had more chocolate. It's like, and, I'm dying. And as we know, uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, her her poison is chocolate. Um, right. She's a chocolate ice cream fanatic, and she's a chocolate bar. So she gave him, she goes, this is a basket of goods from California. Mm. Some candy bars, <laughs> some pistachios, some almonds. I can't remember the other nut was. It was another great California right? nut. And then, uh, and some wine. And so There's there was four two, bottles of two wine, bottles right? of red, two bottles of white. <laughs> And if you look closely at the picture, six chocolate bars from Ghirardelli in San Francisco. And a cable car. And a, a little toy cable car and a bunch of <laughs> jars of nuts. And you're like, let's get this party started. You know what I'm talking about? This is how we do the proof cast. If you can see the scene here, it often is several bottles of wine, chocolate bars, and, 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 some bowls, and bowls of almonds. We're in California, baby. Guacamole with every meal. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Ice tea said barbecues every night. With us, uh, um, avocados every don't Breakfast, cut, lunch, and dinner. Don't cut yourself opening an avocado. Put it on a cutting board. I've never held it in my hand. Right? Why do people cut themselves constantly opening an avocado? The, my thumb was gashed so hard by being the stupidest thing in the world. I, there's no way I'm holding an avocado the rest yeah, of my yeah. life. I, Set now, it down gently. I wear a hazmat outfit, and Jennifer sets the avocado down about 30 yards from me. <laughs> and then I, I don't have to wear a blindfold because I can't see anything out of my left eye. And I run at it with a carving <laughs> knife that we've had sharpened uh, down the Gelsons near our neighborhood. And, uh, and that, that's how we do it now. Um, and by the way, um, my mother used to eat them with, uh, she'd slice an avocado open and then slather it with mayonnaise and lemon. Oh my. You ever seen that one? Oh no. So you, put, no. you take a dollop of and mayonnaise from the jar that. and you, first you put some lemon on it and then you take a dollop of mayonnaise and put it in the middle where so, the little hole is. fat on fat. It's, you know what? Cut with a little lemon. I, I, I don't mean to be like a proponent of mayonnaise on the show, but I'm asking you guys. You try it and you let me know. Fanmailforgreg at gmail.com or you can go to Twitter and let me know about this. Uh, no. These guys are grossing out. Both no. of them are grossing out because they're sensitive, sharing, caring, gorm. You what? Oh, really? It sounds good. Really? Especially chilled. I mean, you know, like it's... And I had one the other day. I made Jennifer an avocado smash because I only have the one dish. 
And uh, you have two. I yeah. made it. I have avocado smash. She taught me how to poach an egg, so I can poach an egg. And uh, I made her an avocado smash when she came home. But I was on the side, Angie Dickinson, Angie Dickin, Angie Dickinson, and Angie Dixonian uh, ing it. Because Angie Dickinson, for some reason when we were kids, was the spokesperson for avocados. I think you were supposed to be excited that it was only 70-some calories. She'd go, hi, I'm Angie Dickinson, and these are delicious California avocados. Did you know that one avocado only has four calories if you stand on your head? And it was always like, what? No, no, it doesn't. Like Susan Powder used to say, stop the insanity. Two pieces of cheese is like seven baked potatoes. And you're like, no one's eating either of these things. You're making false equivalencies. <laughs> Angie, it, but uh, it, was, I, it was when she was married to Burt Bacharach, right. so they could be super, super leathery, tanned, and, mm. and fabulous. Together. And thin, they're yeah. both thin. Yeah. Uh, she had a great figure, Angie Dickinson, with tiny waist. She had, you know, all the all the boom boom. And Burt had that weird hairdo and kind of stood there. And he, so he, his ad was Martini and Rossi on the rocks. Yeah, Bert so, Bacharach would do uh, this weird vermouth ad where you're supposed to drink vermouth with rocks. So you can picture their house as being in Malibu, and that's all they had was vermouth and avocado. Right, cigarettes, a piano, mm-hmm. um, a glass of vermouth, and then eating an avocado. What I used to laugh at was like, yeah, avocado only has 70 calories if you don't put anything on it. <laughs> and don't eat anything with it. If you start putting salt and salsa and potato chips and tortilla chips and avocado and, I mean, if you start to put mayonnaise on it, Mayonnaise has a million, I mean, like, you know, it's not, I mean, I'm sure they're good for you. I think they're good for your heart, right? That's what they say here. Squirrels love them in LA. Like, avocados grow everywhere here. And squirrels will eat half of one and then barf it up and well, leave it on Well, that's fun for them. They just take a bite and then pitch it back. It's, it's weird because there's a surfeit of them here. And then you go around the rest of the country, New England, say, for instance, and there's not as many avocados as there might be. I was a little hostile when I moved to California from the East Coast, and I realized I'd never had a decent avocado or a decent orange. I was going to say an orange. When you had a California orange. And then like, oh my God, all the artichokes that you could ever hope for. No, 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 a ceaseless supply of artichokes. Garlic, almonds, and artichokes we're never running out of here. And pears, because um, the pear capital of the world, the raisin capital of the world, the artichoke capital of the world, and the almond. And the garlic and almond capital of the world are all in California. And how do we determine that they're the capital of the world? The group kiss. Um, the group kiss is the one that determines it. Matt Weinhold, our good friend who does the um, uh, horror podcast, uh, said to me years ago that he saw Kiss in Sacramento on a reunion tour. And they had rehired Ace and um, Peter. And by the way, as I've discussed, Peter's quite small. He's the cat. He plays the drums. So when he comes out to sing Beth, he's not wearing the platform shoes. And all of a sudden, there's a five foot six Jewish guy on stage. <laughs> Whereas the other guys are eight feet tall because they're wearing platform boots. He said, on the night, Paul Stanley said, we made, we decided that Sacramento's the rock and roll capital of California. Sacramento? Because Sacramento's the capital of California, but they decided it was the rock and roll capital. And Matt said that he turned to his friends and went, and we were here. Yeah. We were here on the night. Can you imagine? And he also said, Matt said, when the show opened, I hope we don't have any feminists here. By the way, Jennifer's forbidden me to do this, so I'm totally out of school. Oh, God. Because uh, uh, the Paul Stanley... Uh, All right, Toronto! At one point, I was playing it a little too much. And um, 
It is the funniest if, goddamn if you play thing it at in the all, world. It's too much. Go on SoundCloud, no. look up Paul Stanley. <laughs> no. There's an hour long mix of him addressing every city in North America exactly the same. It's all right, Dallas, and then you just. Do you remember that clip? <laughs> Years ago, Steven Tyler is like, hello, we're in... No, he goes, hello, Wyoming. and Oh, no, hello, Montana. Right, and the bass player is like, we're... we're Tom goes, Wyoming. <laughs> and he goes, Wyoming! <laughs> yeah, Steven Tyler. I don't know what state I'm in. Right, not even the town. Well, the state is inebriation. Yeah. Um, I think when you get on the mic at Home Depot and sing, dude looks like a lady... You're doing the world a favor. I would get on the mic and sing Dude Looks Like a Lady at a Home Depot. Oh, my God. I, that, I love that he did that. My two favorite things ever are Cindy Lauper singing Girls Just Want to Have Fun at the Brazil. They're, they're they, trapped on a plane. <laughs> uh, they're trapped in the... Uh, they got um, delayed. Uh, in Rio or somewhere. I think and, so. And they're in the airport. And it's her and a million Brazilians. And she's dressed as Cindy Lauper. She's wearing a mantilla and shades, right? The flight attendant asked her, Yeah. will you... Please diffuse the situation because people were getting oh, a little no. testy. The plane had been delayed. And so she got up to the little PA and the started hand the crap mic. Yeah. singing, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And yeah. everybody starts singing along. Yeah. It's really cute. It's, it's insane. It's on YouTube. Be, yeah, it's, it's great. Be on that. Uh, that, uh, that one and the idea that Stephen Tyler was drunk at a Home Depot, got to the counter, <laughs> grabbed the mic, and got up and went, Do you like a lady? And people in the aisles are like, what? And then they're sticking their heads up. What a funky lady. What a lucky, 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 lucky. And you're like, really? Really? And yes. the answer is yes. yes. The answer is fucking yes. yes. Cindy Lauper picks up the crap mic and has to push the button on it to make it work and goes, the phone rings in the middle of the night. Like she just lays it down. And you're like, and then everyone in the waiting area goes, girls just want to have. It's just like. Yeah, it's pure joy. Um, a color line uh, is a site you might follow. Color lines. New report says women of color are immensely electable. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll read you two sentences from it. Um, reflective democracy campaign finds that women of color who run for officer winning their races and are, quote, driving steady progress for all people of color. Published Monday, it's called The Electability Myth. The shifting demographics of political power in America. 45,000 elected office holders reported in 2018 women and people of color who ran for office were just as likely to win their races as white men. It's empirical evidence. That means it's been tested. Well, I believe the person that got the most votes in the last. Oh, you mean Hillary Clinton? Presidential election uh, yeah. was. Uh, she actually won. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, why do I bring it up? Because the through line, as you know, E. Jean Carroll came out with some very credible assault uh, accusations against 45 this week. She's a famous New York person, by the way. The fact that he claimed that he didn't know who she was and that he never heard of her and that he knew who her husband was is his typical dodge. She... And that there was a photo of them together. Yeah. Not only was she an acclaimed athlete... In the article. Yeah. Uh, she was a, a person about town in New York all through the 80s. She also had her own television show in New York. Mm -hmm. So there's no question that he knew who he was. She was because he did nothing but pretend to be John Barron during that era and phone everyone and make them talk about him. So they not only frequented the same places, I'm sure they knew the same people. Mm -hmm. And then later, of course, she was the um, guidance counselor at uh, L. 
she had a, a column Essence, L. in L magazine in L for magazine years. For a thousand yeah. years. Yeah. Well, I say guidance counselor. She was, Ask E. Jean. Yeah, it, it, Ask E. Jean was her column. So she was the uh, Miss Lonely Hearts or whatever of, of L magazine. And then she finally came forward. And she's 76 years old. And uh, describe what happened. I won't go into graphic detail. You can look at it. Two other people have come forward to corroborate that she told them at the time. Um, the, uh, the media fumbled the story as hard as the media has ever fumbled anything since um, you grab them by the uh, Billy Bush. And my point is this. Um, it's time that we listen. Um, it's time that we listen to women. Even if a woman's coming forward with a story that happened 20 years ago, I can't hear any more people go, well, I believe him, or, um, uh, oh, she just wants the publicity. She's got a book to sell and all that jazz. The New York Times didn't put it on the front page. They put it, in, in fact, in the book section and, and then apologized for it days later. Yeah, Dean Bacat had to come out and actually publicly apologize. They did it. The New York Post had it on the front page and spiked it at the orders of their Murdoch-led crew. Washington Post didn't put it on the front page. Los Angeles Times didn't. Now people are starting to backtrack and try to get back on the story and get it some traction. But I don't want the story to go away. When the president, or whatever he's called, uh, the illegitimate president of the United States is accused of sexually assaulting a woman, no matter the time period or anything, and this one is very credible indeed, it needs to be hashed over. We need to look at ourselves. I'm a man. Yes, I am, and I can't help but love you. So I'm a man, and um, the uh, the funhouse mirror that 45 presents to me is more horrible than I can even possibly describe to you. Um, I think of all, a million triggering things. If I'm triggering you by talking about this, I'm sorry, but it has to be dealt with. Um, Congress needs to look into it. It needs to be a lead item in uh, the news. When he got elected, it was a message to the women of America that a guy who said on camera that he approached women that way by assaulting them. Um, when it all passed through and then the normality of it, oh, well, that's just how he is. That's just how he acts. No, it's, it's wildly wrong. Well, last night uh, at dinner, someone asked us all uh, to talk about how things had been different in the last two years for us. And a lot of people talked about how they were having trouble sleeping or uh, they tried to drown out the noise. And uh, I mentioned my excessive drinking. <laughs> but I, I think a, a good thing to focus on is how to thinking about other people and the people that have it worse and how to make it better for them. Always. Which to me means empowering people who voices are being shut down. But it's also a way to get yourself, you know, out of uh, a malaise uh, just to uh, get motivated and, and think about other people and uh, give yourself a project that way. If you want to help women, uh, there's a million ways you can do it. Emily's List, um, She Should Run, Higher Heights. Um, the, uh, what's Liz's group called now? The Abortion Action Fund, mm -hmm. AAF. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the um, NAACP. Of course, uh, 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 Planned Parenthood. NARAL, uh, the National Abortion Rights Action League. Um, races. Races, R-A-I-C-E-S. -R -R -I -I so it helps um, families to try to come across the border. We haven't even talked about and it. And also... There's, uh, there are people who are going to be running uh, for the Senate against Republicans, and we, we have to uh, turn the tide in the Senate uh, to get any progress. And there's a woman, Sarah Gideon, has just announced who's running against Susan Collins in Maine. And uh, Mark, I've already followed her on Twitter and given her campaign some money. Nice. Mark Kelly in Arizona. 
there's uh, please go on. Uh, Jamie Harrison is running against Lindsey Graham. Imperative to unseat. Uh, Teresa Tomlinson is running in Georgia. Uh, uh, Greenfield in Iowa. Um, I can't read my writing here. <laughs> uh, Jackson in North Carolina. Uh, and as somebody wrote, anyone in Colorado, yeah. please step up. Yeah. But every election is important. Um, and more important than you could possibly imagine. Not only at the national level and at uh, the senatorial and congressional level, but your school board. Uh, you saw what happened with the Supreme Court today. They, uh, they threw us one and said that they're going to hold off on the citizenship question on the census. And then at the same time, you saw Roberts side with all the conservative justices. And this is Gorsuch's and um, Kavanaugh's giant payoff uh, for... Uh, this is them repaying the debt to Mitch McConnell for keeping um, uh, Scalia's seat open for a year and not letting Merrick Garland get a fair hearing as a Supreme Court justice. So they rush Gorsuch and Kavanaugh onto the court. Gorsuch is an extreme hardline right winger. Kavanaugh, as you know, is a predator mm-hmm. who's on the court. There, I've said it. Come, well, come Sarah, at me. Sue me. Sarah Gideon said she's in the state legislature in Maine, and she said she was inspired to run for Susan Collins' uh, spot because of her vote for Kavanaugh. Susan Collins was a disgrace uh, during that vote, but no more of a disgrace than all oh, of the men. The absolutely. men first, the men first, please. But yes, Susan Kavanaugh, Lisa Murkowski, and Jenny Ernst could have really stood up. Jenny Ernst is a victim of sexual assault and actually talked about it and was one of two people this week to decry 45's um, story. Um, having said that, yeah, it's imperative. If you get involved, you'll feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you can support uh, your local papers. Um, the te- Texas Monthly was just bought by a woman named uh, Randa Duncan Williams, and she's promised to restore it and hire uh, investigative journalists. Um, the Sacramento Bee just did uh, an important study about uh, the unsafe uh, situations at California jails and prisons. It's important, otherwise this stuff doesn't come to light. No, no question of that. Um, uh, it's, it's extraordinarily important to uh, support journalism, especially with Sarah Huckaboom uh, leaving the scene the way she had in a smoky haze. Um, they had a little party for her before she left at a nearby steakhouse, evidently, and a bunch of the press went. I can't believe that. You have to understand that. I can that and I can't. Well, you know, Jennifer, Jennifer lived in Washington um, when she was uh, a young person, and, uh, and I always thought I was cynical. Coming from San Francisco. Oh, that makes you cynical, living in a suburb of D.C. Right. And then Jennifer would say to me, oh, it's worse than you think it is. So I'm like, yuck. Um, They need access to the White House, and they have to keep that door open. And can you imagine? I mean, now we're nowhere near where we need to be, but uh, this is the first time there's been this many people of color, uh, Mm -mm. as many LGBTQ people in office, and and as many women— so, you know, this is this is better than it was, and it's still where we're at. Well, no, we're fighting against the forces of evil at every moment. But, of course, as you know, we will win because we have hope in our hearts, the wind at our back, and poetry and song. And we have Marlon Perkins' Wild Kingdom to look back on because there's Cuskers down below. <laughs> you have been the smartest crowd in the world. I have been the smartest man in the world. I'm getting eye surgery next week, so I don't know if there'll be a show, but there's going to be... The Hall of Game Yay. Uh, podcast dropping uh, on Monday with uh, all those great ballplayers. Uh, may every page you turn be a satchel page. May every 
Bell that rings for you be a cool Papa Bell, and if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're Barry Bonds. Jennifer and I and Ryan bid you fond adieu. Hey.